Clarence R. Brister has presided over his final commencement as Johnson C. Smith University president. My name is Herb White, and this is In Other Words. Clarence R. Brister is retiring as Johnson C. Smith University president after five years. Some of it was very unprecedented, such as basically being online only for a year and a half due to COVID-19 and the allocation of more than $80 million to the university through the mayor's racial equity initiative. Arm Brister announced his decision in January with a letter to alumni stating that he had made his decision over the Christmas holidays with the input from his family. Arm Brister's five-year contract expires in June, but he'll stay on as senior advisor to his successor through early 2024. I recently had a chance to sit down with Arm Brister to talk about his legacy, the challenges facing Smith and other HBCUs, and what he would advise his successor to do. President Arm Brister, it's a pleasure to meet with you probably one last time. Yes, sir. Uh, as you are stepping away from duties over at uh, Johnson C. Smith. And I guess I'll get the obvious question out of the way. Well, one of the obvious questions out of the way. Uh, stepping down now, as opposed to in a year or two or whatever, uh, what facilitated that? Was that just you thought it was time to go or what? No, it was a combination of a, of a lot of things. Uh, it, it was a confluence of events that included family considerations, uh, the opportunity to spend uh, more time with my family, uh, particularly, I have four grandchildren, uh, the oldest of whom is 13. And getting to that age where they may not want to be around grandparents that much anymore, uh, it was a natural time for me as I sat down and talked with the board about you know my contract and things like that and how much more time we would want to spend. And so uh, once I stepped step, step back and took a look at it, I thought now was a good time. Plus, the university, I thought, was in a great position to continue you know, with the momentum uh, that uh, we had made, uh, the board chair uh, and the board had committed to the strategic plan. So I didn't feel like I was kind of leaving the university in lurch. We have a plan, we have resources to execute on that plan. So I think when you consider all those factors, it's probably as good a time to leave as any. And I'm gonna, I'm getting old too. <laughs> but uh, I've been working for about 50 over 50 years. So it's time to take a little bit of a break. So when you are taking a break like this, and you're walking off into the sunset, you've done your last commencement as president, yes, uh, do, you, do you look back now over the last six years, or will you have to give it some time to really process what has happened with your tenure? I think with time comes reflection, so I think the time will give me some opportunity to reflect, but uh, I'm fairly cognizant of a lot of the things that have happened. You know, we came in with a lot of challenges, we faced some challenges, but I think in the time that we've been here, we've gotten a lot of good things accomplished, uh, uh, the most significant of which I would like to say is bringing uh, Johnson C. Smith to the consciousness of this greater community, the Charlotte community. Uh, I think that that is uh, something I'll look back on and, and be reflected very positively on. I remember when you were hired and <laughs> looking over your resume, you know, obviously uh, the post is very connected to 
Charlotte black community, and especially Smith alums. Mm -hmm. And there were the comments that would come from folks, this guy isn't from academia. Right. And that was an out-of-the-box hire for the university at that time. Uh, a, looking back at it now, how nervous were you that you were that out-of-the-box hire? And B, looking at it from this standpoint today, grade yourself. Put on, Ooh, that, put on that teacher's cap <laughs> and grade yourself. Well, I'm not good at grading myself. I'll, I'll, I'll hold that thought. But in terms of being an out-of-the-box hire, you know, I'd worked in higher ed before. So it wasn't like I was totally new to higher education. In fact, I've been involved in education from K through 12. Uh, and the most recent experience that I had before coming to John C. Smith, I was running a boarding school that went from first through 12th grade. So I've had you know, a lot of experience. Was I nervous? No, I wouldn't say I was nervous. I was confident in my abilities, but I was really confident about the fact that Johnson C. Smith sat on a foundation, a platform that was very, very enticing. Uh, to, to, to come to, uh, you know, being in the great city of Charlotte, first of all, with all of the positive things that were going on here. And then I got to learn after I got here how inclusive the community is, both the philanthropic, the business, and the civic community. And once we were able to get our story out there, how people kind of rallied around Johnson Smith. So I wouldn't say I was nervous. Uh, and as far as a grade is concerned, I'll, I'll leave others to, to give me a grade. But uh, I'd like to think that uh, we made some progress here at John C. Smith and that John C. Smith is on a trajectory that's going to really take it to new heights. When you talked about those challenges when you got in, <laughs> uh, what was the most daunting thing that was on your plate looking back? Well, I, I, there are a couple of things. When I first got here, you know, two weeks before I started, we found out that the university had been put on probation by its accrediting body. So that was the initial uh, 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 big challenge. And we were able to resolve that with some great help from our friends here in terms of uh, putting together a structural plan that the, uh, our creditors found uh, worthy of approving. Uh, but the biggest and the longest daunting challenge, I have to say, was COVID. Um, you know, who knew in, uh, in March of 2020 when we sent our students home that for Johnson C. Smith, they wouldn't come back until August of 2021. So a lot of people forget we did not open up and have students on campus for the entire academic year uh, 2021. And so when our students left on March 23rd, 2020, and that date is etched in my brain, and we didn't get students back until August of, the, of a year after that, it was really challenging. It was challenging in a number of respects. Number one, it was challenging for the students. You know, trying to deliver uh, high quality education online is really, really challenging. And that's, just, that's not taking anything away from from our faculty, our faculty did a tremendous job in being able to pivot from you know instruction to online instruction, uh, and even when they came back, they had an even difficult, more difficult job because we had them teaching uh, uh, all synchronistically, both in class, online at the same time. It was very, very challenging. So, COVID was a really, really big challenge because it was literally at the top of our agenda from May, March of 2020 
probably for two years beyond. You know, we just probably took off the agenda uh, at the turn of this academic year where we didn't have to think about it as much. And in fact, um, shortly after the United States ended its emergency, we just rolled back our kind of COVID protocols, probably in the last two weeks, I think it was, when we announced it in our JCSU News. In some respects, I would imagine, and you weren't here for it, but COVID kind of was a second whammy to enrollment for the university. I guess first off would be the Great Recession, which took out quite a few students from Smith's enrollment. And it has never really bounced back to those pre-2008 levels, where it was around 1,400, 1,500 or so students. You're around 1,100 now, somewhere like that. Right, right, right. Uh, what, is, is that something that is going to be more or less the target enrollment going forward, or is that just a dive that's going on right now, and there's something afoot that will well, help yeah. it rebound? I want to I want to ch slightly change the premise of the the foundation of your question. I think it's fair to say that our enrollments had gotten back up uh, just when I when I was here in 2018. So that fall in the entering class that came in 2004, we probably had our, one of our highest enrollments since I've been here. It was just under 1600, so we're at 15 something. That was 2018. COVID did a number on us in terms of enrollment. Being closed for those over 18 months really put a damper first about our students that who are continuing. It was very challenging for them to be online. And so many of them went to institutions that were either on ground or because of the challenges, some of which you mentioned, the economic challenges. You know, we sent these students home and they had to, many of them had to contribute to the economic vitality of their own families, right? So they were trying to go to school, work, take care of the little brother or sister who was also out of school. You know, it was just challenging. And so being closed that entire 18 month period, we, we, had not, we didn't have an opportunity to be as in touch as we would be with our students. You know, the kind of small environment, high touch environment that we have here at John C. Smith. So that was number one. Number two is in terms of recruiting students, it really puts a damper on your recruiting efforts if nobody can come on your campus. And we were literally closed that, that whole time. So our enrollments took a big hit from that 1,500 down to about the 1,100 we are now. Now we have a plan. Uh, we have some resources to commit to that plan, resources particularly in the area of scholarship money. So that $80 million, over $80 million that we were pledged through the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative and that the Duke Endowment and other corporate entities pledged to, about 19, about 19 of it was pledged for scholarships. So we started something, a couple of scholarships that we've never had before. So we have a hometown scholarship. If you're a CMS graduate uh, and you graduate and you come to John C. Smith, you're going to get $2,000 off the bat. You know, you don't really have to do anything other than that. Uh, we have scholarships for the first time for transfer students, particularly those students who are transferring to us from CPCC as well as Gaston Community College to bring them into the pipeline of John C. Smith and give them the opportunity to take advantage here as well. So those are some of the things that we're fighting back with the enrollment. We also have a plan now where we're really, really going after some of our infinity groups. There are a couple of sports that we're really emphasizing. Uh, we're emphasizing band and choir, so any students out there who 
listening and they want to come to John C. Smith and be in the international sound, uh, uh, they can come to John C. Smith. But we are really, really working hard to get back that enrollment. It is very, very challenging. You know, it went down very, very quickly. It is hard to build it back up, but we're working on it. And we think we're going to have the programs and the leadership here to really attract the kind of students that we want here and really get Johnson C. Smith back up to where it was before. And another thing that's happened uh, during your time here at Smith is the national reckoning of race in America. Uh, after George Floyd was murdered, uh, all of a sudden, HBCUs became something that was on people's minds and on yeah. the radar, as if they didn't exist the previous 150 or so years, but that's another story. Exactly. But in terms of HBCUs, it seems as if there are, you know, not to say that it's necessarily you know, haves versus have-nots, because if you compare all of them to their PWI counterparts, they're all have-nots. Mm -hmm. But when you look at some black colleges, you know, some have done better in the intervening three years or so in terms of that attention and that funding and things like that. Uh, where is Smith in that group? Is it, uh, is it more on people's minds and the money and the attention and the interest is following it? Or is it still in that camp where it's going to have to take some more work to get it to where you would like to see it go? Well, well there, there's always going to be work to be to be done. So I don't want anybody to think that uh, we have a, we're going to plant a mission accomplished flag. But I, I will say this, the confluence of events, and you started out with, uh, with the unfortunate murder of George Floyd. Uh, you know, that was going on in the midst of COVID. And then we were in the process of creating our own strategic plan. So it was really kind of a confluence of events where we had created our strategic plan and we began to talk with much of the civic and corporate and philanthropic leadership in Charlotte area about our plan and how they might support it. And then, you know, through the graciousness of God and basically the great uh, forethought of our mayor, Vi Lyles, who came up with this idea of the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative, and considering Johnson C. Smith as being one of the four pillars of that, it was really a combination and a confluence of all of those events that help us get to the forefront of this community's mind. And quite frankly, it has taken off somewhat nationally. I was invited about two weeks ago along with two other members of this community, uh, Malcolm Coley, who was one of the co-chairs of the Mayor's Racial Equity Initiative, and Blair Stanford, who is the executive director of the CELC, to Philadelphia who have looked at what we're doing here in Charlotte and say, hey, what's, what's the secret sauce of Charlotte? What can we do? What can we learn from you? So the three of us went and participated in a, in a, uh, in a, in a panel in which we talked about that. So I'd like to think that John C. Smith is on the receiving end of, a, of more attention, in large part because of the work that we've done here, but also because of what the mayor did in naming, as, naming us as one of the four pillars of her mayor's racial equity initiative. Uh, but I don't want anybody to think that $80 million is, is all that we need and or, 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 or should get. I mean, I think that there will be opportunities for others to invest in Johnson C. Smith, particularly when they start to see uh, the, the flywheel kind of take hold in terms of what we're doing here in terms of transforming our academic programs, providing support for students who come here, and being able to get them on pathways to those great jobs that are less than two miles away here in Uptown, uh, here in Charlotte. So. 80 million or so isn't a panacea. It's no, it's a start. Not. It's a start. Okay. 
So then when you talk about the, the, the plan going forward mm-hmm. with the university, what specifics can you talk about in terms of whether it's academics or recruiting or whatever to build the university going forward? Well, well it's, it's, it's all of the above. You know, the first pillar of our strategic plan rests in terms of academic excellence. We want to make sure that when students come here, they have an opportunity to take uh, highly rigorous, uh, uh, highly challenging academic courses. Now, we can't be all things, all people, but we want to take advantage of some of the natural uh, affinities that we have here, including the fact that we are in the second largest financial center in the country. So it is it would be uh, natural for us uh, to really emphasize our business programs here. So that's going to be something that we're going to really invest in uh, in terms of our business program. Another thing that we want to take advantage of is the incredible investment that our good friends over at Atrium Health uh, under the leadership of Gene Woods uh, is doing in terms of the Innovation Center and the New Medical Center and to really emphasize pre-health programs here. Pre-health is one of our, in biology and chemistry, some of our uh, larger majors along with the business and so we want to double down in that as well. So we're taking the opportunity to really, really emphasize some of these academic programs with the view that you're going to get experiential learning opportunities and ultimately, if you wish, you're going to get a job and or be prepared to go into graduate school. We have something here we call the JCSU Promise. Uh, and it says basically four things. Number one, when you leave Johnson Z. Smith, you're going to be able to communicate effectively. Number two, you're going to be able to think critically. Number three, you're going to be able to work independently as well as collaboratively. And number four, and most important, you're going to be able to demonstrate to whomever it is, your employer, the graduate school you went to, or whatever, that you're not only competent but excellent in whatever it is that you're doing. So that's really our promise. If the students do their part and we do our part, we want to make sure that our graduates who leave here can really hold up that, that part of the promise to whomever they, we, we send them out to. And so would that promise, at some point in time, uh, Smith is a smaller, mm-hmm. historically it's a liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. It sounds as if you're shifting a little bit of that emphasis for what's going on right now in, in the business world and academics in terms of business and STEM. Uh, is that fairly accurate or is Smith going to be pretty much rooted in its liberal arts past? Well, it's a great question and one that I'm asked about by my faculty here all, all the time. Uh, we're, we're not going to give up our uh, liberal arts bona fides. We, we're, we're really not. What we're saying is though, that we do want to take advantage of the incredible opportunities and synergies we have here with, uh, with the business and other communities. But what we have found, particularly those students who, remember among the first two things we said we want to be able to communicate effectively and think critically. Those students who are doing a lot of the critical thinking skills are many of our liberal arts students. We had a program here, we still have a program here with Red Ventures, where we, we created this um, class where students uh, who took first half of the class in the classroom, the second half at Red Ventures. Unfortunately, it started out during uh, COVID, so they had to do the second part virtually. But the 
the first year, the first time we did it, the top student was one of our liberal arts students. And, and, and initially, when we thought we were setting up the program, we thought we were setting up for business students or STEM students because they were going to do coding and other kinds of things like that. But the top student who came out of that that very first year, and I'm, I would be surprised if many of the other top students was a liberal arts student who had those critical thinking skills, who had um, you know the, the, the dexterity of being able to go in and out of kind of soft stuff versus hard stuff, and it was great. So we're not going to give up on our liberal arts bona fides in that regard. Okay. Now, you, as everybody knows, you've uh, mentioned that you were going to leave, and the in the meantime, there's a search going on yes, for your is. successor. And a, do you know who that successor is? And B, what if even if you don't know, what would you mentor or suggest <laughs> to him or her to do with the university or how to approach leading the university? Yeah. Um, so the answer first, no, I don't know who the, what successor is. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm, I'm very, I'm very positive about that. I don't okay. know who it is, but I will say this, and this is based on. Uh, this is not, I'm not telling you anything that's not public because the chair of the board got up. We had a very, very uh, high number of applicants for the job. Not surprisingly, Charlotte's a great place. I think John C. Smith is a great place. Uh, they went through a very rigorous uh, process to cut it down. And I would expect that an announcement would be imminent. So, you know, we're, today, I'm not sure what this is going to be broadcast, but today is May 31st. But I would think in the next two to three weeks, there'll probably be some announcement about who the successor is. Now, in terms of advice to that person, I am rarely one to give advice about anything other than to say to whomever the successor is, he or she, that when they come, they should be their authentic selves. You know, the one thing, uh, particularly at HBCUs, and I didn't attend one, but I sent two of my, my, my children there, is that people want to see your authentic self, you know. And, and if you're authentic self and, uh, and you lead uh, with that, people are appreciative of that, whether they agree with you or they don't. I mean, a lot of people tell me, you know, I don't agree with anything you just said, but at least you're being honest, you're being truthful, and you're being your authentic self. So, you know, if they can do that, I think they'll have a great uh, run here at Johnson C. Smith University. And when you talk about your authenticity and your authentic self, I remember way back when, when you first took this job, and we talked, and, you know, that was one of the things that stood out to me, you know, because your story is not your typical J.C. Smith presidential story. No. You, you grew up in Florida, played football, mm -hmm. went on to a college uh, at an Ivy League school, mm -hmm. played football there. And so you're, you're not typical. <laughs> you know, not, I've been around a few Smith presidents. Let's leave it there, okay? Talk a little bit about how your backstory impacted the last six years? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think in large part, so I'm the youngest of my siblings, and there's a big gap. So I was, as my mother said, I'm the baby of the family, in fact. And so I had a lot of people to look up to, in particular my, my siblings, my oldest sister and my two brothers, who did go to HBCUs. Because when they graduated from high school, I graduated in the mid-70s, so they graduated in the mid-60s, they didn't really have any other options. And that's not to say that HBCUs weren't a great option. They went to Florida A&M, which was the 
my exposure to HBCUs in terms of what I could see the potential to be. I remember when my brothers came home from their first weekend, you know, you know, when they like around Thanksgiving or something, or they came home, they brought a bunch of their friends, and I saw all these young, black, talented people who were really going to go places. And, and each and every one of them did, including my brothers who went on to have careers in the military and business and do other things. So it was very early on that it got in my brain that I could go to college, uh, whether it was an HBC or not, uh, but I could go to college and be something. So I had really, really great mentors that helped uh, fulfill my backstory, in part emphasizing how important education was. My parents didn't go to college. Uh, they were very well educated, but they didn't go to college. And to see the transformative effect of what a college education could do, that really fulfilled part of my story. And the other part of, you talk about the journey, uh, another uh, kind of epiphany that I had is that the first time I worked in education, I worked for a superintendent uh, for the Philadelphia Public School System. His name was David Hornback. And like many uh, urban superintendents, which many people say is the hardest job in America, being an urban school superintendent, he had a reform agenda. His reform agenda was named Children Achieving. But the essence, the essence of that reform agenda was that every student could learn. Every student, it didn't matter how poor you were, it didn't matter what your color was, it didn't, it didn't matter what your quote-unquote intellectual quotient was. Every student could learn. It was about expectations, right? So, and, I, and I've seen it. I've seen it with my children. I've seen it with others. If you set expectations high, students will, will meet you there. You have to hold expectations high. I grew up in segregated elementary schools in, in South Florida when it was legal to do that. But all those teachers, all of whom were black, had very high expectations. Very, very high expectations. And when you think back to the kind of education that I got, the foundation that I got in elementary school, it was unbelievable. If you set expectations low, the students, they'll meet you down there too. So the, the challenge is making sure that when you're purveying knowledge from one to another, that you hold your expectations high of that recipient, be it a student, whoever it is, and they'll meet you there because students really want to try to get to where you're getting them to be. But if you hold them in low esteem, that's what they're gonna do. So one of the things that HBCUs do in particular is you know a lot of these faculty uh, here they know what the struggle is and they hold they have very high expectations about what they expect from their students and as long as HBCUs are in that space and doing that I think they'll have a, a, a long future ahead. When you look at the situation now with Smith and where you are, now I want to say. You know, something that may come off as, mm, that's a really hard question, but what is the best part of this job in your estimation? The very best part. I'm not talking necessarily about kids walking across getting their degrees, but the best part of the job, period. Well, in large part, it is, it is the interaction with the students. It really is, whether it's handing them a diploma or helping them realize their dreams or having a student come to you and say, President Armbrister, that road to hire thing that you helped bring here is the greatest thing that's happened. I have a job, I'm making $65,000 a year, I got a car, 
or being able to help them navigate some very tough minefields that they have or writing a recommendation for a student and they write you back and say, President Armbrister, I got that internship at the White House fellowship or wherever it is. Those are the things that are really, really special. Watching and being able to assist students achieve their dreams and in many instances, because many of them are first-generation first college, really change the trajectory of their lives and their families' lives. I mean, you're talking about a, a, an investment in human capital that's going to provide a return that's going to go much beyond what they do themselves. It's going to help their families. It's going to help their families' families. It's just exponential. So that's what gives me the most pleasure, and that's the best part of the job. And that's the one thing I'm probably going to miss the most. Mm -hmm. So when you finally walk out the door in June, where are you going to where are you going to go? <laughs> what are you going to do with yourself? You know, you don't have you don't have a campus to run. You don't have to shake hands. You can just hang out and just. I'm going to listen to your authentic self. I'm going to listen to Mrs. Armbridge mostly, but <laughs> but uh, we uh, we have uh, we've uh, made a commitment to stay in North Carolina, so we'll be heading to the coast. We'll be in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, so I'll be continuing to be in the Tar Heel State. Um, but there there's some board service that I have that I'll be involved in. Uh, I'm going to try to improve my golf game. Uh, today happens to be uh, my father's birthday. If he were alive, he'd be 106 years old today. He put a golf club in my hand when I was 11, and I need to do better by him. I should be a much better golfer now. But uh, So my goal is to break 80 before at the time I turn 80. So that's what I'm going to try to do okay. is play golf. Okay, well, if you're going out to Wilmington, there's plenty of golf there. There is. Uh, in New Hanover and even Brunswick County. Absolutely. Lots of great questions. Absolutely. So, um, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me today and for your service to Charlotte as well as uh, Johnson C. Smith. And uh, you're going to be thought of uh, highly, I would imagine, around these parts. Well, I'd like to think so. I want to thank you for uh, uh, following not just me, but Johnson C. Smith and putting out those positive stories about John C. Smith and the trajectory that it's on. And to your readership, thank you. And the last thing I just want to say is to the entire community, thank you. I tell you, this has been the run. As challenging as it has been, it's been a run of a lifetime. Uh, Mrs. Armbrist and I have truly enjoyed Charlotte. Uh, we feel that although we may not have be quite Charlotteans yet in the eyes of many, but we feel a very strong connection to Charlotte, and we hope to maintain that uh, throughout our time here uh, in North Carolina. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And for everybody back at the office, uh, this is Herb White. Thanks for listening. <laughs>